Occasional podcast about Call of Cthulhu, horror films, and horror gaming in general. My name's Paul Fricker. I'm Scott Dolwood. And I'm Max Anderson. And this week we are going to be talking about our favourite non-Lovecraftian role-playing game. Well, horror role Horror role-playing game. Damn, yes. I knew I'd missed something. <laughs> well, yes. non-Lovecraftian and horror. Yes. That's got it. Yeah, because you know we do occasionally play games other than the one true game. We do, we do. This is is very true. And and sometimes, very rarely, we play games that don't have Cthulhu in the name. Uh, What about what about non horror games? Um, We even branch out to those sometimes. Sometimes, but I I do try to avoid it. Yeah, I was going to say, what what kind of crazy world are you living on? Uh, (laughs) Pretty sure we played some D and D fourth ed. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh, yes. Yeah, but I wasn't there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, we've we've each chosen one of our favourite horror games, uh, and well, we're going to talk about them because that's kind of what we do. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be much of a show if we didn't. So, no. Scott, I think you're kicking us off. I am. Well. Kick so, us off. Okay, I, I shall kick us off with Hot War. Um, Hot War is. Uh, it's, it's a game that I don't think gets enough attention or enough love. Um, it's probably the game that I've run uh, at conventions more than any other game now, uh, in various forms. Uh, and it, it's a, a rare game that works for me in just about every aspect of it. Um, so it, it's it's a game that came out, oh gosh, it must be about five or six years ago now, uh, from Contested Ground Studios, uh, the, the people who did A State and, and Cold City. Um, and uh, Hot War is sort of a, a follow-up to Cold City. It's it, You don't have to know anything about Cold City and you don't ever have to have played Cold City, but it is sort of a follow-up. So just just like, could you just say a, a brief bit about what Cold City was? Cause yeah. that was um that was a pretty cool game. Yeah, like, uh, Cold City is a fantastic game. So the, the premise of Cold City is that it's 1950 Berlin, um, and that the uh, Berlin at the time is is carved up into different zones that are uh, occupied by different national powers uh, following the, uh, the the fall of the Reich. Um, and the premise is that there were a number of um, Nazi experiments that bordered on a cult, but were you know, primarily weird science, uh, that have been left, um, you know, perhaps running, sometimes being resurrected, but they're these little sort of time bombs throughout the city. Uh, and the uh, the different governing powers you know, put aside their political uh, differences to some degree uh, to form a group that goes out uh, and and troubleshoots these problems uh, but the complication is that you know they're made up of you know the Soviets the Americans the British the French and sometimes Germans um, all of whom perhaps had their own agendas and want something out of the experience that's the nice thing is because as a player each player is playing a person from a different faction yes um, with their own personal agendas and kind of political agendas and so on which are all at, at, fault, at odds with each other and that's something that carried forward very nicely into hot war but i mean hot war the, the premise of that is that it's 1963 but it's an alternate history game um the idea is that uh, the cuban missile crisis went badly wrong in 1962 uh, in our timeline you know it was resolved at the last minute peacefully in this timeline it wasn't uh, uh, the, the nukes went flying, and most of the world is not there anymore. Um, you, the game is set in London, and London somehow you know, escaped the worst of the damage, which is a mixed blessing. Um, you know, it's still standing, uh, but it is largely cut off. Uh, a lot of the countryside around is irradiated. Uh, there are refugees that are poured in from all over uh, the UK and you know, from mainland Europe. It's bursting at the seams. 
problems, uh, there isn't enough food to go around, there isn't enough resources, uh, and the whole thing is a big powder keg. So you're saying the rest of the country got, or outlying areas of the country got hit, but London didn't? Yes. Okay, that seems a... Is there a justification? Yeah, the, for that? The, the, justification the justification is that the 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 you know uh, the major nukes that the Russians had aimed at, at London just you know by quirk didn't go off. Oh, okay. Um, now because this is building up on some of the weird science stuff in uh, Coal City, you could come up with a weird science explanation for that, um, but that's actually left undefined in the background of the book. Hmm. Um, which I kind of like. Yeah, you know, I like having these little holes in there that, that you know, where, where you're you know, perhaps encouraged to you know, come up with some cool reason why that happened, uh, and perhaps tie it into a character's background, or in fact, the foundation for a plot itself. Yeah. Yes. Why did London survive? I mean, that would be a great scenario to do. Mm-hmm. One of the things I, that, that I really love about this particular setup, though, and the game in general, it is one of the most unremittingly British. Uh, role-playing games I've come across uh, in terms of its you know, not just its setting but its influences I mean, it, the, the influences that, you know, that Malcolm Craig who wrote the game drew upon um, were, you know, there, there's some fairly obvious ones I, I think the, the main thing that's, that's inspired a lot of his writing over the years um, is Threads which you know, we've discussed on, on the podcast before ah, I thought you were going to launch in with Quatermass then for a minute Quatermass yeah. is another one, yeah, Nigel Neal in particular is a huge influence on this, John Wyndham, uh, and you know, though this is a, a slightly less cosy apocalypse than than John Wyndham, uh, I can see a lot of John Christopher in there as well. Mm. Uh, certainly, with the Death of Grass, which yes. I think is one of the most miserable post-apocalyptic uh, novels I've ever read. Agreed. Having read that, yes, yeah. I see your point there. And and yeah, I, um, yeah, I certainly did a, a scenario uh, for for Hot War where it was very inspired by the Death of Grass or one particular aspect of it. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, all of these... I, there's probably some J.G. Ballard in there as well. I mean, all of these things come together and, and produce this, this very, very British feel. This, this kind of downbeat, uh, very political, very um, very grim, desperate feel, which I, I associate with a, a lot of British science fiction. Huh? You mean this is the way the world ends? Yes. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the... This this means that the game isn't just horror. It isn't just science fiction. You know, it's, it's a blend of those two in the way that, say, Nigel Neal's stuff is. There's also a lot of political stuff in there as well. Because uh, going back to you know what you were talking about, Paul, with the the factions in Cold mm. City, the factions in this aren't national ones. But the the, the premise is that the British government try to keep hold of uh, this powder keg that is London now, and try to stop it exploding. Has created this group called the Special. Situations group, um, and they are drawn from all different sources. They they they're sort of a combination of um, you know, secret police and um, paranormal investigators uh, and just you know brutish bastards at times. They they will do whatever needs to be done in order to you know keep the status quo and stop things falling apart. And are all the player characters drawn from that? Yeah, all the all the right. player all the player characters are members of the SSG. Um, and in a standard game, anyway, because I can think of at least one game you've run where they weren't. Yes, um, but yeah, the the, um, I, the 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 nice thing about this again is because they're drawn from all these different sources. You have that sort of dynamic that you had in Cold City, whereby um, you've got a group of characters who have drawn together with a common purpose, but at the same time have got loyalties that lie elsewhere. Uh, the loyalties that make demands on them. So you can have someone who's been brought in from you know the army or the navy or the police or the security services, um, and you know their original bosses. You know, are sort of saying, you know, while you're there in the SSG and you're investigating this, can you just make sure such and such happens? Hmm. I mean, do you find that as as strong as in Cold City, where you're playing a Russian and American? It brick. tends to be more subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. in, in, the, the, in Cold City, you have that, yeah, that very strong uh, national uh, nationalist side of it. Um, and I guess what, what's different in Cold City is that bit's more blatant as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like a player. You know, anybody coming to that game, you tell them you're a Brit, you're American, or whatever, they're going to latch straight into that. Whereas yes. saying 
you know, you work for the the police, you work for the air force, or whatever they're going. Well, to it's, it's it's weirder than that still in, okay. in hot war because not all of these factional associations are you know, known or what they seem. Because uh, some some of the factions that you can have loyalty to are, are things that you keep secret. Um, so you know, uh, for example, there's the you know, the rise of um, uh, fascism again going on in the background of all this. The Os- union, I think they call yeah, it. The, the British Union of Fascists, yeah, Oswald Mosley's group. Um, so they they they've they've. Uh, kind of risen from the ashes, and you know, particularly with uh, all the Europeans that have come into the the country, they find it very easy to to stir up kind of jingoistic anti-European uh, sentiment. I mean, thank God that could never happen today. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, to to try to unite the people of, of England, um, and. Uh, so you've got um, you know the uh, communists as well who are sympathetic with the Russians. Uh, you've got uh, the Citizens' Defence Army, uh, <laughs> who are a group of anarchists uh, who are you know concerned about the police state that the, that that Britain is becoming and want to try to smash that from within. Great, so you've got great antagonists. <laughs> yeah, but but the point is that yeah you know, your 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 character could be a member of the CDA mm-hmm. who's gone into the mm-hmm. SSG mm-hmm. with the idea of subverting whatever it is they're doing so you know you can have all these different factions together within one group um you know some of them you know be very very secretive about where mm. their loyalties lie you see the, the one that appeals to me more being the horror game is the berg i love the berg uh, yeah <laughs> yes they, 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 they sorry the the burb you mean is <laughs> a uh, pretty experimental rocket group i thought there was uh, yeah they, they, in the book it's the british experimental rocket bureau uh, oh, B- well. B-E-R-B. What's one uh, letter between friends? Yeah, <laughs> because the, 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 this is the Quatermass influence. Uh, the, in Quatermass, there was the British Experimental Rocket Group, uh, which was Quatermass's organisation. And uh, obviously, you know, for, for legal reasons, Hot War can't quite have that. So it's got a very similar organisation called uh, the British Experimental Rocket Bureau. Headed by the Professor. That's right. The shadowy figure. Yes. <laughs> um so, so yeah, I mean, you, you, as I said, you've got that kind of dynamic of being pulled together by a mission but being pulled apart. I, and on top of all this, you've got your personal agendas as well. Um, so you've got an agenda that's been given to you by the faction you belong to, which is pushing, pulling you in one direction. And then your char- each character has got, as part of the creation, a personal agenda. So this could be something like reuniting with a lost love, um, you know, uh, making enough money to you know, get out of uh, the uh, London or you know, uh, defecting to the Russians. It's just like, where are you going to go otherwise? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've seen it happen. <laughs> oh, I'd like to buy. I'd like to sell my house here and move into the zone. It's a lovely place. Time of year. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. Yes. There's the the zone of alienation, which uh, is is Malcolm's little tribute to Stalker, mm-hmm. uh, which is what the north uh, of London has become. This oh. this kind of weird alien landscape where strange things happen. Uh, otherwise known as Finchley. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so the characters are defined very much by these agendas and their um, their, their associations with different uh, factions. But they, mechanically, they're also defined by you know attributes. The idea is that you you know you have three stats really, which are the attributes, which are uh, action, influence, and insight. Uh, so they represent the different arenas in which you can have conflict. So action is physical conflict. So that's anything from you know shooting someone to running away to you know trying to dig yourself out of some rubble if it's physical it's action uh influences you know anything that's um a social conflict so it can be trying to browbeat someone in interrogation it can be uh sweet talking uh, someone it can be you know subterfuge lying seduction anything like that if it's a social skill is influence and insight is for battles of wits uh, and the, the, these can, the, 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 this is the most subtle one. It can be sometimes a bit difficult to tell which one is an inside conflict. Mm. But I, I've used it for things like um, you know trying to follow someone in the crowd and you know without being seen, um, for uh, code breaking, um, for you know trying to work out uh, someone's motivations by going through the, the paperwork they've hidden that kind of thing. 
So you've got those three numeric values on your sheet. Right, that's, that's right, it. and those, those, are your, those are your only stats. Right. The, the other things that define your characters mechanically is you've got your two agendas, which have got a certain number of uses that you can use in them. Um, and one of the nice things in, in Hot War, which you know, eventually got folded back into Cold City but wasn't there in the original Cold City, was the idea that these agendas resolve. Um, and you know, basically if you've had more successes than failures in your use of them um, as, as they go on, and I'll explain what that means in a moment, then um, you uh, then you succeed in the agenda. If you've had more failures than successes, then you fail. Does that do anything to your character, or is it just kind of a story thing that you've is succeeded it, in your agenda? It's, it's a story thing. Yeah. yeah. But it has a mechanical bonus at the same time. Um, yeah, At least it does, it does on the way up to the storytelling moment. Yes. It does? Yeah, well, well, when, when you use dice. an agenda, yes, you get... You, oh, OK, yeah. yeah. When you bring an agenda into play, you get bonus dice. Yeah, but the fact that you've succeeded in your agenda or failed in it doesn't make any difference to that. No, no, that, no that, that just kind of redefines your character's uh, motivations a bit, and then you yeah. create a... Um, you, you so if, you, if you resolve an agenda and you succeed or fail in it, do you then, if you were playing an ongoing game, uh, would you then design a new agenda? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you choose it from a level that you haven't had previously, I believe, as well. Or at least not the immediate one you've had or have on your other one. Yeah. So you've always got differing levels to what you've had and what you've got. Uh, and by different levels, that just means agendas that resolve more or less quickly you mm-hmm. know, through a certain number of uses and give you, you know, different numbers of bonus types accordingly. Yeah, it's a trade-off. Okay. The shorter the agenda, the bigger the bonus it gives you. The longer the agenda, the, uh, the weaker the bonus, but the more of them that you get. Exactly. Hmm. Um, your characters then have traits, uh, which can be positive or negative traits, which say things about them, what they can do, personality quirks, uh, perhaps even items of equipment, stuff like that. Um, I, but what's interesting about Hot War is that negative traits still help you in conflicts, if you can find interesting ways of bring in. Help uh, in inverted commas. You, you, you get dice for them. The, <laughs> the only thing is that you, know, you roll a different coloured die uh, for each um, negative trait that you bring in. And if that coloured die comes out on top, then you get fucked over by it in some way. So if I'm chasing you down the street and I've got one leg, can I bring that in as an extra die? Um, How would it help? Yeah, that, that, you've got to try to find some way of, of bringing it in. But, I mean, if it was a case of uh, perhaps... You know, if you were trying to dissuade a bunch of toughs from from beating you up, and you know, you point to your your wooden leg and say, "Yo, look, boys, you know, I'm, I'm I'm no I'm well, a no, war wound. Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah, yeah, well, I'm no danger to you here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, then yeah, you could bring that negative trait in. But if that came up high, then yeah, you beat them to death with it. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, no, you, you can still succeed in it, but it can, yeah, it, it could be something like yeah, they, there's still a bit of a, a kerfuffle, and your leg gets broken, but you know, they they, they perhaps don't kick the shit out of you hmm. yeah, the other one would be if you're trying to intimidate someone and you're using a trait such as like uncontrollable rage for example oh, yeah. Yeah, it might not become controllable by the end of the, the, yes. end of the situation yeah, I've certainly had NPCs die very suddenly as a result of negative traits coming out on top mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. And in my in my luck of having played the game, normally most of my positive traits end up becoming negative in the course of the scenario. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that, that's that, that's something I'll touch on in just a second, which is how the mechanics work there. But I mean, the the other thing that defines your character is relationships. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I mean, this is a slight difference between Cold City and Hot World. Cold City, you know, you had sort of relationships. You have relationships with the other player characters that are you know defined define how much you trust them. Um, oh yes, yes. It was very much a trust mechanic. That, wasn't that, it? That's right. Like Mountain so, Witch. Yeah, 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 it was lifted entirely from the Mountain bit, Witch. A bit of a difficult one to get your head around, though, for initially. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, the idea of being that you know, the more you, you trust you put in someone, the more help they can give you in a dangerous situation. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the more you're opening yourself up to betrayal by them. So I trust Matt a lot, and I give him three dice, and he can use those three dice to help me or hinder me. No, no it's, it's the other wrong. way around. You trust uh, you trust Matt a lot, so that if you're in a dangerous situation. Matt can give you those three dice to help you with it because you trust him to help you. Right. But but then you know, if it turns out that he's actually got a conflicting agenda to you later on and he decides to stab you in the back, uh, that degree of trust is going to make it easier for him to do so. Yeah. He'll, he'll get those so three dice. So he can use that trust yeah, against yeah. me if he so wishes. That's right, because yeah. you're, you're blind to you're what a conniving little shit he is. When would I do that? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, but you'd never but, call a dark young on your friends, Matt. We know. <laughs> never, but, no, no, not at all. But but Hot War's not quite the same there. I mean, Hot War is thematically slightly different. It's about sort of the rebuilding and redefinitions of, of relationships in you know the aftermath of this horrific uh, situation, and so you know it's much more about building up relationships. Uh, so the relationships you have with people, um, you know, again, are either positive or negative. Um, and uh, the more dice you have in them, the more intense the relationships are, and the more that they can be brought into play. Uh, and negative relationships are sour relationships and can sort of be used against you. I remember that was that was the bit the confusing bit I found initially it was it was that it was how you thought they thought about you. Yes. Yeah. What? <laughs> yes. Brain yeah. hurts already. Tried to even remember it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, a relationship has a, a little description on it, and it, it is defined. Yes, as as what what your character thinks the other character thinks of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which which actually makes a perfect perfect sense. But yes, trying to explain to you <laughs> trying try to explain it the first time will will just yeah break your head. <laughs> um. But yeah, going back to the idea of you, you, you mentioned how your positive traits became negative traits, man. Frequently. So, so the idea is that you know, all of these things come together when you have conflicts, and conflicts are always between characters. Uh, you never just say roll a spot, hidden roll for the sake of it, or something like that. Um, so always between player characters. No, but just between characters. Between characters, NPCs, yeah, NPCs, whatever. That, but always right. between people, right? Yeah. There are always two active parties, two or more active parties in the conflict. Uh, and you, know, you roll, and basically, um, uh, without going overly into the dice mechanic, um, you, the, the more successes that you have over your opponents, the more points of consequence you have. And you have a table of what consequence can be, points of consequences can be used for. Mm-hmm. So you can use them for bumping up your own stats, bumping down an opponent's stats. So, for example, if, if, if you beat your opponent by three points, uh, you can spend those three points to take one of their stats down to zero and take them out of action or kill them. Your choice. If, if you ever pick up a second uh, second hand copy of this game, folks, you'll find that the pay. If it's a softback copy, you'll find that the, uh, the bend in the spine opens exactly on the page where that table is. Page, page one hundred and eleven. It's almost as if he's memorised it. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, I, actually, actually, I created my own table, which I give as a handout mm-hmm. now at convention yes. games. But uh, yeah, um, so, so you, you, one of the things you can do with those points is turn you know, uh, positive traits into negative, or vice versa. So I mean, it's quite fun, particularly as the GM. Uh, you know, if if you, you know, have a notable uh, success over an opponent, um, over a player character opponent, in this, it is quite fun to you know be able to spend those points on really screwing that character over without making the character less fun to play. So you know you could spend it on you know knocking down say the action score or you know even killing the character outright, but that's not going to be very much fun for the player. So you can do something like yeah, you know, so say someone gets. Uh, done over in a knife fight instead of taking their action down you could give them a couple of neg- new negative traits of something like hideously maimed or missing an eye or something like that which you know, actually potentially make the characters slightly stronger because these are negative traits that you can then bring into conflicts mm. but I, love how you, I love how you start it as if you're making a more character while I get to twist a knife and make potentially it potentially stronger but if pain. they bring those negative traits in then more bad things are going to happen exactly. to them exactly so yeah and you could also spend them on relationships as well, or not? Yeah, yeah. you can spend them on relationships and changing relationships. So yeah, yeah. You know, in a social conflict, as a result of that, you could end up, you know, turning a friend into an enemy or completely destroying the relationship between two characters, mm. uh, or you know, really strengthening it. Um, now, I mean, I, I've I've run a number of different hacks of Hot War, and I mean you've you've played. Um, I, I I did uh, a series of scenarios um, which uh, was set around Innsmouth mm. uh, called Time and Tide, uh, which uh, used Hot War as the mechanics, and and Paul played one of those. And I I, I, I don't know if you remember there was one really notable conflict in the game with you and Kiri. I don't know if you want yeah, to talk I do about kind that. of remember that. The, Scott, yes. I, I, I think I, I think this this is you know still in all the years I've had of playing and running Hot War the single best example of how much a bunch of consequences can change a character. So yeah, because um, we were going back to Innsmouth after the raid, weren't we? Yeah. Some years after when they were redeveloping it. Yes, yeah, about ten years after. And Kiri was playing a Deep One hybrid. Yeah. Um, and we go back to a hotel, not in Innsmouth, but in a local town, I think. Gates, which is the night. Yeah. yeah. 
And um, my character's a fairly kind of, I don't know, you're, hardened... You're, well, your character had been a, you know, a Marine who was actually yeah, involved right, in the raid. Right, yes, yes. Uh, and, and, you know, was sort of going back to Innsmouth to finish what he'd started. Yeah, I'd, I'd got, you know, I was um, kind of trigger-happy to get rid of some of these mutants and uh, go in and clean the place out, really, if there are any of them left. Unaware that, that Kiri was playing um, a Deep One hybrid until in the night when we're sharing... When we're, when we're in um, neighbouring hotel rooms, he starts to um, kind of flap his arms against the wall in an, an alluring manner, which yeah, one of sure yeah. his arms yeah. or what. But, but, but yeah, he's kind he, of, he, he described it as being like Willow and the Wicker Man here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so he's kind of writhing around against the wall in, in the next room, and um, this sets up a, a social conflict between... Myself oh, yeah, I think uh, it's it as an inside conflict because he was using magic to try to get into your mind. Oh, was it? Right. Yeah, so it was inside. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this, um, yeah, uh, well, I ended up losing really badly. He, got, he got eight successes over you. I've um, never seen a, a roll like that before. Yeah, that does ring a bell. Yeah, yeah I, you didn't have very many dice on it, and I think your die, highest die was something like a two, and almost every die that Kiri had was over yours. Yeah, uh, so... And, yeah. Against my against my better wishes, we end up spending the night together, um, and uh, you know, no amount of showering can get rid of that fishy but, smell. But, 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 but it was the way we cut to the following morning with you kind of sitting there at the breakfast table in the hotel in absolute shame. Yes. Uh, but but you know, the, the um, it was the the way that Kiri spent those points. Uh, I, he, if I remember correctly, he knocked he knocked your influence down. He changed a couple of your negative traits to positive one. Oh, rather vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he changed the relationship between your characters so that instead of you uh, kind of fearing and loathing her, that you were obsessed with her. Yes. Uh, and then gave you a new negative trait of self-loathing. <laughs> yes, which is perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, that, that led to my, my character just in the end of the game, I think just getting lost in Innsmouth and just meeting another Deep One hybrid in a doorway somewhere at the end of the game, and that was that was kind of his uh, fate. Yeah. Just be lost in... In Innsmouth. Yeah, yes, yes. Well, one of its permanent residents. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, that, that was just perfect. I mean, but, yeah, no, none of this was anything that was planned in the game. It was just the way the dice made the game go at that stage. Yeah, and the agendas that kind of led that, that forward. Yeah. Um, and it was a nice example of a game whereby, um, without those mechanics to support the game... Uh, you know, I would probably have ended up just killing Kira's character, yeah. or, or she would have killed me. Um, you know, because we were at loggerheads um, at the start, although we didn't really realise it. But clearly, that was going to come out in the game. But those agendas and through that kind of social conflict mechanic, um, you know, it was able to kind of bend me to his will, or you know, maybe yeah. it would have gone the other way. But um, it, it gives you ways of having meaningful direct conflicts between characters where you've got more than hit points at stake. Yeah, yeah, and it had a big impact on the on the story. Yeah, and yeah, as much as I love Call of Cthulhu, I don't think it would have kind of worked that way in Call of Cthulhu. I can't really see how it would have, because the mechanics don't really stretch to that kind of... Um, Social conflict, yeah. No, not, not to that kind of realm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to you know Vanilla Hot War itself, I, there, there, there are certain Lovecraftian aspects to it as well. I, yeah, I think Malcolm was a bit influenced. But by less so than Cold City. Well, I mean, there, there are Lovecraftian touches in both of them to some of the technology that the, uh, the Nazis used that then gets picked up by the, um, uh, the the various powers in Berlin, fed back to their own weapons programs, and then you know used in this conflict in London later on. Yeah. I kind of compare more Cold City with Delta Green in that respect because it is very kind of governmental type conspiracy. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, whereas but, but, Cold but War the, is very much just like a more tradition, more parallel to a more traditional Cthulhu setting. Yeah, so somewhat, but uh, you know, again, it's it's much more the weird tech side of things. So you've got kind of gates or people who've you know uh, been modified surgically into you know, something other than human. Uh, you know, monsters which have been brought across from other dimensions and stuff mm-hmm. like that. There's there's nothing inherently supernatural in there. And how is it to run as a as a GM? It's I, 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 it's my favourite game to run because. 
by front-loading so much of it with these agendas and those conflicts and so on, as 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 a GM, you know, it's one of these games where you get to play to find out what happens. You know, you, you poke stuff with sticks every now and then uh, to see where it goes. You know, um, you, you you throw lots of kind of heavy conflict at the players, uh, but you've got no idea what's going to happen as a result. And um, you know, as yeah, you know, my experience, you know, is that that tends to lead to, you know, complete surprises for me. It tends to lead to you know, uniformly satisfying outcomes. I, I don't think I've ever had a game of, of Hot War or Cold City where at the end of it I thought, oh, well, that that didn't go anywhere. So it would be radically different each time you run the same scenario. Yeah, yeah, well, depends it, on the it, players more than anything else because they're the ones that drive where it goes. Exactly. Yeah. I mean the. Um, it's a fairly subtle point, but scenarios in in Hot War and Cold City aren't actually called scenarios. Um, yeah, I, 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 I wrote a couple of them uh, for the Hot War transmissions, which came out uh, as supplements. Um, and you know, they, they, they're not described as scenarios; they're described as situations, which struck me as being a bit weird at first. But then I realised why, because there isn't a story to them. It is just that situation. It's sort of here's a bunch of antagonists, here's a charge situation, here's some characters with agendas. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's no story there. It's just a question. So you've of, got a beginning situation, and then you've got various ingredients that are inherent in that situation that are going to come in as you want them to, as the story yeah. develops. So you've got NPCs that, that are there that you can bring in. But yeah, but, but the point is, each one of them has an agenda as well that's right. going to you know collide somehow with what they depending on what the players yeah, do. That's right. So yeah, so yeah, you, you don't write a storyline at all. It's you know it is just you know, so. Do you have to come up with an awful lot of stuff on the fly? Yes, uh, but but it's it's a lot easier than you think because you know so much is happening that as a GM, a lot of the time you're just reacting to what the players are doing. So. Comparing it to a regular, um, you know, regular Call of Cthulhu scenario, say that the, the the listener might be familiar with, how would you compare that with running a hot ball game? Is it more difficult or kind of easier? Or it's different. Um, I mean, it, it it uses a, a subtly different set of skills. Um, with uh, with Call of Cthulhu, you know, there, there's more of the um, the keeper having secrets and unveiling stuff to the players, um, and you know, sort of building uh, towards you know a conclusion that he or she may know, or at least you know, a revelation. And um, quite a lot of often with traditional scenarios, quite a lot of trying to keep it to the storyline to some degree. Yeah. But but with, with it. Yeah. but with hot war, you know, is is much more a question of you know, um, just winding it up ahead of time, watching you know the different bits you know suddenly kick into life, uh, and then you know you as a, a, a GM just reacting to that. Uh, and, and throwing in the occasional firecracker to see what happens. Yeah, I, I, and and also you know doing things like um, you know framing scenes and so on. So you're cutting between characters, keeping the pace going, stuff like that. But it's you know you're, you're not telling a story. You're you're reacting to all these events and trying to keep it coherent and try to keep it you know try to keep everyone involved. Do you think you're constantly looking for conflicts and ways of escalating yes. the conflicts? That seems Definitely. when I've played in the games with you. That seems to be something you you excel at. Um, in that, some you know, if somebody's pushing, for, a player is pushing to fulfil their own agenda, I can see some um, GMs might sort of concede and sort of say, "Oh well, yeah, I think you know that would probably work." Whereas you will always throw in, a, "Well, you kind of do it a bit, but then this happens, or you know, by doing that, you know, you cause this to get worse um, in a way that kind of organically flows." But it creates drama in the game. Yeah, and and to me, that's the you know, the most exciting thing that happens in a game. Those those kind of um, you know, unexpected conflicts that come out of uh, you know players wanting to do something, and you know you as a GM. No, not not putting roadblocks in the way, but you know, making sure that their path isn't easy. You know, making sure that it's all you know that it's always on a knife edge. Yeah, that's quite and, a creative skill, I think. But but it's you know it's something that I, I I try to bring into you know more traditional games that I run as well. I mean, I do exactly the same thing when I'm running Call of Cthulhu. Um, yes, that is required in Call of Cthulhu, but I think um, you've got a scenario there, so hopefully that you know there there are ideas there that you can just kind of think, oh, that'd be a good time to bring this bit in. Whereas in Hot War, you haven't 
got that you kind of got to do it on the fly is what I'm sort of yeah um, but I mean the, the thing is that you know because I've got so used to doing that in, in games like Hot War I actually do that a lot in Call of Cthulhu as well and you know if I'm writing a scenario out for publication it's a different story but if I'm you know running something at the table particularly for the first time I won't tend to prepare it much more than I would a Hot War situation <laughs> and it will just be that opening situation and I'll do exactly the same thing you know I'll push those conflicts as they come up and see where they go and then you'd incorporate, if you were writing the scenario, you know, to develop it further for a Call of Cthulhu scenario, you'd then kind of script those in as, as yeah. options. Or yes, yeah. As yeah, inspiration. Yes, yeah, yeah. I'd codify those conflicts that came up, that, you know, or at least the ones that seemed to be interesting. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I've, I've talked before about, you know, how when I develop scenarios, I develop them a lot through play, and that, that's exactly what I mean by that. Because, you know, until that first playthrough, I've got no idea where the interesting conflicts are going to be. But once, once, once I've got my head right, those, those are the scenario. Another thing that I particularly love about Hot War, and you know, I, I, <laughs> there are lots of things I love about Hot War, but one of the, one of the things I love about it is, as a book, um, it's both you know, lovely to look at and interesting to read. Um, I, 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 I find myself very easily bored by a lot of role-playing texts, you know, particularly if it's just a lot of mechanics. I'll read through them, and it's, you know, it's, it's like reading accounts. You know, it's... Yeah, it, it, it can be pretty tedious. Uh, I can second that opinion. There's one particular game that I won't name here that I've tried reading the rule book for it at least five times, and I fall asleep reading it. <laughs> I've, I've, I've referred to it as the cure for insomnia. Yeah, I, I can think of a, a few games. I'll guess what that might have been after the show, Matt. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> no, no way in hell am I naming it on it. <laughs> but, but yeah, I can think of a few games like that, including at least one that I really love, which is the most boring fucking book I've ever read, but it's a great game. Um, but Hot War is... Yeah, you know, a, a really entertaining book to read, and it's got bits of microfiction in there. You know, someone's diary as as you know the UK falls into conflict and turmoil, uh, bits of official documents and so on. And the writing, you know, explaining the background and the rules is you know it's it it's just well written. It's it's interesting to read. Mm. Uh, you, you, you oh, know, so I've never read it, so that's that's interesting to know. Yeah, yeah. it does read very easily. The the thing I also like about it, admittedly, it must have been thinking from the production value of it, must have been a hideous hit on there expenditure is the background of the page that he's got all the um, barbed wire and chain link fence artwork yes. and watermarked almost it's yeah. all monochrome though right it is mm-hmm. it's, it's absolutely beautiful um, but at the same time it's very very easy to read um, it's not like a, you know, <laughs> say some of the cult books where mm. you know, they're they, they beautifully laid out at the expense of readability with this all right, so, uh, so how have they done this then um, <laughs> Can you describe I think, it? Uh, I mean, the, the 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 layouts on the page and the kind of background watermarks and so on are very subtle and don't intrude. Uh, and they're mixed in with a lot of very good artwork. I mean, all of the layout and the artwork is done by Bourbon, uh who, uh, you know, like, like like all talented people in the UK games industry, now works for Cubicle Seven. Uh, <laughs> good plug there. <laughs> but. Um, no, Paul is monstrously talented, uh, and yeah, you, you, if you take a look at, um, uh, at the artwork in in Hot War as well, he does a lot of photo manipulation artwork in there, which is just uh, it takes a lot to disturb me. But some of the artwork in in Hot War and Cold City is really fucking freaky. I was, was going to say, particularly the Cold City Companion. Yeah, oh, that God, was yes. that later rolled into a lot of what was Cold City One Point One. Yeah. Yeah, that that's a very very nice art artistically. Oh, I must book. pick these up. I don't have copies of any of these. Oh, so really? I don't think I've really looked at them. I've seen the covers, but I there's there's two in particular that I can think of at the top of my head that struck me the most. One where there's the body half in and half out of a wall at the oh, top yeah. of a warehouse. There's just this leering figure, almost like leaning out of the wall in front of you with this gaping mouth, but he's easily not twenty foot up in the air. And the other one's this uh, very Philadelphia experiment type image of the skeleton that's fused with this metal plate. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so very, very, very well done. And there's a, a monstrous fetus thing as well, which is just 
freaky. Yeah, I had forgotten about that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't have nightmares. Yeah. Uh, and it, but the, the, the format of the book, it's a small format. Yeah, it's, it's a digest book. Yeah, um, so kind of A5 type yeah. size. I, and it's not a long book as well. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about all the stuff that's in there, mm. but this book is less than 200 pages long, digest size. Uh, uh, I mean, and you've got the, the rules, background, character yeah. generation, you've yeah, got everything, everything in there. Yeah, yeah and it, it, it is a very, very simple game. The one thing that I think, and I think it's pretty much the only negative thing I can say about the game in general, because I'm thoroughly with you, I love it to love it to pieces. The only thing that would have made it a little bit better is the choice of font. That's mm. I think the only thing is it's a very elongated font that is so very sans serif, very. Uh, very spaced out, I think, is probably the best way to put well, it. Well, I, I think the reason for that is that, you know, it's trying to look like an official document at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's, it's sort of a typewriter font. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's perhaps not quite as easy to read, but I find it quite um, evocative. Them- thematically, yes, just that it is a little bit hard to read. But, say, that's only a minor quibble. Yeah. Well, I must admit, I've never found it hard to read, but yeah, I can understand that compared to, you know, uh, say, a, um, a serif. Uh, Oh, auto. What's the word I'm looking for? Auto-spaced font. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it is perhaps yeah. you know not quite as easy on the eye. Well, the only fault the only fault we can find with the game is the font they chose for the book. That <laughs> says something really. Uh, but but yeah, I mean yeah. But, but Paul Bourne, the work that he's done for you know, every game that I've seen, he, he did the. Um, uh, we've talked about Dead of Night on the the show before as well. He did the layout and the artwork for Dead of Night, and he did all these fake film posters in there that are just amazing. The freaky film posters, yes. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was a little surprised when you said Hot War was the game you'd run most at conventions, because I thought that would be Dead of Night. I think the thing that tipped it over yeah, um, to Hot War for me is the fact that I did all the Time and Tired games. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Which actually sort of leads me on. Um, one of the things that I, I like about Hot War as well is that it's a very hackable game. Yes. Mm. Um, the, the, the conclusion I came to a while back is any uh, situation you've got where you've got a group of characters uh, who are drawn together by a common problem or mission or something like that a common goal but at the same time being being pulled you know, in different directions by their own drives and expectations of uh, you know that, that other people are placing upon them then you know which you know covers a lot of role-playing situations which is often how we would try and write characters for a role-playing game anyway yeah. if we were creating pre-gens for a Call of Cthulhu game or whatever it is we've tried to give them their own agendas mm-hmm. yeah although they wouldn't necessarily have a mechanic for agendas in, in, in whatever game we're running we'd try to give the PCs um, some sort of agendas of their own wouldn't we yeah, yeah. we'd all do that yeah definitely you, I'd learn a lot from Cold City and Hot War that I generally have agendas that clash mm. so that you have to either a person that has two conflicting agendas of their own or you deliberately set person A against person B and then watch the sparks fly Yes, yeah. I mean, uh, the the two games that really brought that home to me were, yeah, I'll include Cold City and Hot War as one game there, and Dogs in the Vineyard. Because mm, yes. with, with Dogs in the Vineyard, when you're creating a town in there, every NPC, uh, the one thing you define about the NPC is what they want from the player characters. Yeah. Um, so it means that you know, every character there you know, is is pointed somehow at um, uh, at the the player characters and will cause them trouble. You you don't have anyone who's just there to give information or for background colour or whatever. Everyone is going to be a pain in the ass in some way. But that's not really to do with player character agendas. No, 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 no. That's that's not to do with player character agendas. But I mean, it's just the the kind of dynamics between characters. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 what I meant is, you know, in terms of writing scenarios, those are the two that taught me the most about kind of creating uh, character interactions. But yeah, both PCs and NPCs. Mm. At least you get a cool ha- a cool coat and a gun, though. So <laughs> kind of is, is a good trade off. Mm. Yes. And you get to spread the word a little lord. <laughs> With hot lead. I was going to say that. <laughs> written in lead, yeah. Uh, yes, we should do a show on Dogs in the Vineyard at some stage, because, God, there's that a good game. Anyway. Um, Buckets of dice! <laughs> and the yeah. poor town steward. Who, who, who always, always ends dies. up being shot. Yes. <laughs> Brings it on himself! Oh... <laughs> uh, Anyway, so yeah, but but yeah, I mean, in terms of hacking hot war, I mean, I've run you know loads of 
different things with Hot War over the years. Um, well, you know, the, the one I mentioned, Time and Tide, you know, I did a whole string of scenarios there, which I will write up for publication when I get time. I really will. Um, which is all set in, you know, uh, 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 the, the basic premise for it is it's the Innsmouth diaspora. It's, it's all the deep ones who ended up, you know, being taken out of or fleeing Innsmouth after the fall and, you know, different periods of American history all right up to the present day. And it's all about the uh, the interactions between deep ones and humans, whether they come up and um yeah I, I, I've, I've written six of those so far and they've they've um you know covering 1930 up to the modern day and yeah they've they've gone pretty well hmm. well for you anyway not for the not for the four characters involved <laughs> <laughs> they don't all end in tragedy just the ones i play yeah. I, I can think of at least two that have had quite more quite uplifting endings you know the one you played i think oh uh, yeah, in fact, that was uplifting about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was the, the 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 kind of ecumenical agreement that went on between the, oh god, yeah, the, between the Esoteric Order of the Day God and the Catholic Church. Oh, yes, stage, that was that which, was, which was just fucking weird. Actually, I didn't was, see that one coming. <laughs> there was the one that we played that I had the I played the priest that has where Robin was constantly put, uh, pressing my buttons about. Yeah. Oh yeah, you failed before, and oh yeah, you don't remind me about it, and then finally finding new faith in the Esoteric Order of Day God. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and that had also had the advantage that um, there were deep ones in it, um, but they didn't feel like Call of Cthulhu deep ones. When, when, when we yeah. meet, when we encounter Call of deep ones in Call of Cthulhu, all too often they feel like meeting the Goblin in Dungeons and Dragons. We kind of, oh yeah, it's a Goblin. We know what that is. It's a deep one. Yeah, we know what a deep one is. Uh, with using a different set of mechanics and a different game, they did feel more like deep ones in the story, more kind of unknowable and more intangible. Kind of what are they about, and you know. and and also you know kind of intelligent creatures to be interacted with. Yes, you know. yeah, rather, yeah, rather than just cannon fodder. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that that felt like I don't know. I'd say that was one of the best kind of Lovecraftian games I've played. I think. Oh, that, cool. That, that okay. scenario that's very good. Right. Yes, I will write it up someday. I really will. Actually, I've I've, I've written about half of it up, so I must finish it. And what are the, you said you've run other things. Yeah. With, so there's the the default hot wall setting in London, kind of post. Yeah. Cold War. So Time and Tide. I I did uh, a non kind of uh, hot war 1960s London as well, uh, set in uh, Gangland Soho in the uh, the late 60s. Oh yeah, I played uh, in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which was the Cray Brothers. Yeah, thing. yeah. Inspired by the Cray Twins. Yeah. Um, and uh, the or the Gen- Dinsdale Brothers. <laughs> I like to think of them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. But but also riffing off the the Jack the Stripper murders that went on in the 60s in Soho. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, that that that, <laughs> that went quite interestingly the few times I ran it. I, I can think of other people in the convention scene that have used hot war thing. Yeah, Ga- Evil Gaz. Gaz, Gaz yeah, is Gaz, a big Gaz, fan. Gaz, Gaz uses it an awful lot. He, He's he, advocated as the game to run Cthulhu stories with. Well, particularly Delta Green. He's run a number yes. of Delta Green stories using yeah. um, oh, your scenarios using hot war that have gone perfectly. One, uh, one starting in Media Res, I believe, was the one I remember as being, whoa, this is going to go rapidly downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's done some great things with Delta Green and Hot War that mm-hmm. yeah, um, I, I've I've loved playing. Yeah, uh, Rich Stokes uh, did a, a fantastic conversion of Vampire the Masquerade to Hot War. Oh yeah, uh, called Hot War yeah. the Masquerade, mm-hmm. which I, I've I've still yet to play. Um, but you know, because again, you've got all the different clans uh, in Vampire. Ah, yeah, you know, their the different agendas. Yeah, yeah. genius. I'd, yeah, I've never heard of that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And and I've run Unknown Armies with it as well a few times. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I converted Lampos and Bloom and We Had Faces to, to Hot Wall. Oh, okay. Um, and, and I think, uh, oh yeah, that, that's worked very, very well. I, th- I think I'd still probably prefer the UA version. Because <laughs> I, I, I just love pure canon UA. <laughs> Um, well, it, I mean, I just changed the mechanics, not anything else. And I, particularly for Lampos and Bloom, I found it worked very, very well because, you know, again, that's all about the interpersonal conflicts between the characters. Oh, very much so, yeah. And I, I found Unknown Armies as a set of mechanics to be somewhat unsatisfying for resolving those mechanically. Yeah, especially, especially if it's a very social-heavy scenario, which that is. And yeah. it's a very situationist scenario. You start with a situation yeah, that, that quickly unfolds and then you kind of see where it goes with the players. Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, in my opinion, both of those ended up working a lot better using hot war than unknown armies. Oh, fair enough. 
And I, I think Gaz has also done uh, some Legend of the Five Rings stuff with uh, with Hot War as well, which again I can yes. see being quite a good feed. Very much so. I, I know a little bit more of the background of L5R rather than how the system works, but being as it's very social court drama type affair... Then and and again, where you've got the different factions. Yes, or cl- again, clans, clans in yeah. fact, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I can see it being quite good for you know, a number of White Wolf type games outside Vampire. Hmm. Uh, it might be interesting to try doing a mage type game. Uh, I think. Requiem would probably, or any of the New World games, would particularly would work quite well because then you've got the um, conflicting agenda of your clan and your covenant in terms mm. of Requiem, oh, or yeah, yeah. yeah, or your tribe and your auspice in Forsaken. In fact, all virtually all of them have yeah. the conflicting agendas. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So we might try doing some more of that at some stage then. I mean, I've corrupted you to the world of darkness. No, Scott's corrupted world of darkness. Aren't you listening? <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, 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 I actually quite liked Werewolf the Forsaken when I played it. Mm. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think I'd like it more using the hot war mechanics. Mm. Mm. Um, Everything must be assimilated. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I talked about Call of Cthulhu being the one true game before is... It's a lie! It's, 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 it's a not, lie! It's, 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 you don't believe it at all! No, no, You're not a true believer? No. Hot, Burn the witch! Hot War is the one true game for me. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I, I won't pretend it's one size fits all because, like I say, it, it relies very much on that dynamic of co- uh, conflicting agendas. Um, D&D wouldn't work too well with it. Challenge accepted. No, oh, no, no! <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy! If it's going to be a more interesting D and D game, I know that. <laughs> no, I got my racial agenda and my class agenda. <laughs> oh! <laughs> oh my god, that choice. sounds bad. Yeah. I'm a bad I, choice. I, results. I, 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 really I, bad. I, I, I think we're just going to take that clip out of context and use it as a bumper for the <laughs> show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um. Well, I, I, I think I've actually almost run out of things to say about Hot War, which I never thought would be possible. Well, given you have run for the duration of the episode, so... <laughs> yeah, so, so yes, yeah, but we were originally going to talk about three games this episode. But Scott droned on so long. <laughs> but, but, yeah, this has been... Me and Matt have just got one minute each to talk about our games now, that's all that's left. And even then, he well, stole one of the points I was going to make about mine. Jesus. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but your You're games... You're so min-maxed this. <laughs> your, your games are just nothing compared to Hot War. I've won the influence conflict on this, and that's it, yeah. I'm spending my points of consequence on shutting you two Dan. Well, if anything goes like how I roll dice in that day in the game, it's all <laughs> matter, matter, matter. Yeah, but that's every game, Matt. You can't blame Hot War for that. Yeah, Scott's rewritten my relationship with role playing. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I think yeah. So what we're going to do now then is we'll split off and do another episode uh, where we talk about one or two other games. Uh, Depending on how long we talk about them each, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, no, neither of them are, you know, neither of them are hot war, so you won't find that much to say about them. Mm-hmm. Even though, even though the book I'm holding is what two or three times the size of what you got. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, should we talk about uh, where you can find us online? So you can yeah. find us at blasphemoustomes.com, um, where we'll be posting this episode, and you can leave us uh, some comments there. Uh, or you can find us on G+, as the good friends of Jackson Elias, or Facebook, as the same, or Twitter, as the good friends of J.E. Yeah, the odd one out every goddamn time. Okay, well, thanks for listening, and it's goodbye from me. Cheerio. And farewell. Japanese sandman, trade in silver.